As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and day three of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. It's a day that kicked off with some rowdy Saudis who got the best of the Albi Celeste. There were plenty of offside goals and an Argentina defence with plenty of holes. Then Tunisia managed to hold Dark Horse's Denmark, whose performance lacked the necessary spark. And between Poland and Mexico, the points were evenly split in a game that ultimately was a little bit short of quality. And the team from down under almost forced a blunder, but Oli Giroud, the handsome boy wonder, helped Lebleu plunder. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man whose contract has not been terminated by Manchester United with immediate effect, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Contract? Uh-oh, that could be a problem. Uh, no, mine was not Cristiano Ronaldo's was, and that makes me a very happy person. Yes, I'm sure you're very happy about that news. Perhaps we'll talk about it later, or maybe even on our Patreon show, more about that later, Taylor Rockwell. But joining us, a man who enjoyed watching the Scotland B team take on <laughs> France today, Graham Ruthven. Hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I'm somewhere between actively supporting Australia at this World Cup because there are so many Scottish links and being bitter that all these players who are not good enough for Scotland and frankly not all that impressive in the Scottish Premiership are at a World Cup and Scotland themselves aren't. But we're used to it by now. Mm. And that's why they're not going to get any points in this competition, Graham. Surrogate <laughs> Scotland. Sorry about that. Uh, rounding out our pack for this podcast, of course, a man who is... King of the Discord, Arizona Joe Lowry. <laughs> I have really enjoyed the Discord. I think all of us have getting in there to talk with a lot of you listeners. We've had a ton of fun integrating that into the Patreon stuff. Mm. I like to hop in and, and toss in some tactical observations and get to know what people are, are saying that I missed and then also you know, be there for the banter as well. The, the dictator of Discord as well as the dictator of Porto. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to be dictator, I guess. Of course. That's what it is, yeah. We get it, we yeah. get it. Who doesn't? What's this uh, Patreon we're talking about? How about patreon.com slash total soccer show? If you head there, Graham, what happens? Uh, mad things. It's a wild <laughs> place. 
There's some videos in there. Was there a video of me trying a biscuit? Did you? There was. It's up today. right now. Graham tried a Popeye's biscuit. <laughs> Did he like it? Did he not? Go, go. He didn't. We've like been it. heavy. But watch on, the video anyway. It's fun. We've been heavy on Graham updates because Graham <laughs> died yesterday, very briefly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so between D-E-D. That, he was and then, uh, The biscuit eating returning. It, it's mm. been, it's been an eventful 24 hours. I, for I had hoped the biscuit would resurrect me from yesterday. <laughs> I'm not sure that it did. Maybe it was the eight hours of sleep instead. But Could yeah, be. back today. Yeah, yesterday was a long day for all and sundry uh, for many USMNT-related reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but pl- please do join us on the Patreon. And also, please do join us this coming Sunday. If you're in the New York metro area, why don't you come to Brooklyn? Come to Park Life. Uh, they, we're doing a watch-along show uh, for Spain versus Germany. We're going to kick things off at midday at Park Life Brooklyn. Ticket link in the description. We'd love to see you. You're there. All right, plenty of games to talk about. Well, to be more specific, four games to talk about from today's action. By the way, um, I don't know if you saw, guys, the uh, statistics about the attendances that Qatar have been reporting. Super good and 100%, maybe even 150% attendance. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that, yeah, certainly. Yes. More yes. than the stadium holds <laughs> yes, in some cases. Yeah, yeah. So the USA-Wales uh, attendance quoted by uh, FIFA by Qatar was 43,418 in a 40,000 capacity stadium. Mm, uh, yeah. Qatar of course, of course, yeah. yes. The yes. opening, uh, the opening game, Qatar versus Ecuador, sixty-seven thousand three hundred seventy-two people in a sixty-thousand capacity stadium. Apparently, FIFA have been asked for comment, and it turns out those initial um, quotes of how much the stadiums hold were inaccurate. That's their explanation. They built a sixty-thousand-seater stadium, but actually, it holds sixty-seven thousand three hundred seventy-two. Oh, of That's course. The that's the real reason. Yeah, I feel like, and then the official attendance will fluctuate based on the numbers that they say are attending. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. how it's going to work for the rest of the tournament? Mm-hmm. Perfect. It's all completely legit. Yeah, it, all, mm-hmm. it all works out perfectly. It seems well. it. Yeah, it seems it. And and no no empty seats either. We've seen none of that. There haven't been copious uh, amounts of unoccupied seats at all in any of these yeah. games. Yeah. yeah, seems very well organized. The Ticketmaster handled that one. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely, maybe at the opening <laughs> ceremony, Graham. MBS got his ticket from Ticketmaster. He was a very happy boy, uh, no doubt, for the game that you probably weren't awake for, listener. Argentina won, Saudi Arabia two. Uh, possibly one of the biggest shocks in World Cup history. Argentina's 36-game unbeaten reign. Reign? Run. Their unbeaten Tim Ream is over. Yep. Uh, Salim Aldaswari with a sensational strike to win it for oh, the Saudis incredible. after Leo Messi got an early penalty on the books as well. Three Argentine goals, Taylor, were ruled out for offside. They were dancing in the streets of Newcastle for this one. <laughs> they certainly were. Certainly in the streets of Riyadh as well. Uh, I enjoyed the video of someone ripping the door off of their own house yeah, to celebrate. Yeah, well. You know, sometimes you got to celebrate. And I am uh, happy that it ended up being Aldaswari. Dasari, uh, who got the winner, uh, because he was not necessarily going to make this team. Uh, he had uh, appendix surgery, I believe it was, and was a risk to miss while recovering from that surgery, but is back and obviously is scoring goals. So uh, credit to them. I did have some confusion because I woke up and was so out of it that I thought the score was the other way around. It was like, yeah, okay. A, a slightly risky, but ultimately a win for Argentina. And then uh, upon hearing the discussion from my uh, my fellow pod members, realizing, oh no, it went the other way. Things are upside down, uh, cats and dogs living together, that sort of situation. Which, which I still can't quite believe, Taylor, to be totally honest with you. I have down on my notes, I cannot believe that Saudi Arabia pulled this off. All three, they took three shots, all three of them in this game came within five minutes. And two of those three shots went into the back of the net. Like, that stuff doesn't happen all the time in soccer, right? And there's a reason why you said it. This is one of the greatest World Cup upsets of all time. My mind still can't quite wrap my head around this result, and... Mm. 
Yeah, I can imagine lots in Saudi Arabia are feeling the same way. So, Graham, how did this happen? What what did Argentina <laughs> do wrong, I suppose, is the question. Was it defensive issues? I actually thought in terms of the first half performance from Argentina, there was there was plenty to like. So we saw in those three disallowed goals that they were playing the ball in behind, and that was certainly a feature of the, the Saudi Arabian defensive play was that high line. If you were being generous, you would say the off tra- offside trap worked well. If you were being not so generous, you'd say they got slightly lucky that the, the timing and execution from Argentina wasn't at its best. And if it had been just a split second yeah. better, then they're through and goal. Letaro Martinez, he... he he, he, uh, that goal that he scored counts. So yeah, maybe on another day, Argentina get that win. So I'm not really with this narrative that it's all over for Argentina, that this is a France 2002 defeat to Senegal. This feels much more like Spain 2010, whereas if, whereas if they play that game again, they're probably going to be okay. That's not to say there there's some concerns. I think Giovanni Lo Celso is, is a big miss and the way he creates overloads and, and opens up those pockets of space and having that driving influence through the middle. He was a miss, but nonetheless, it wasn't a bad, necessarily, Argentina performance. Uh, I would agree with that. I think Joe would as well. I would just chime in to add the Lautaro goal in particular that was disallowed. When they finally showed us that replay, and I really do wish they would show us the the kind of computer-generated image just a little bit quicker, because it seems yeah. like they should be able to do that. It, it is, for people who haven't seen it, it cuts off like right at the armpit up to the shoulder, and there is maybe... Like one, like one inch of that that can play the ball legally before we're getting into handball territory. And and that feels really, really harsh to me. We've talked about the lines in VAR before, even in the last World Cup, and how, look, if you're offside, you're offside. That's the way they're calling it. That's the way it's going to be. But that one especially just felt so marginal. And one of those where, like, did you get the still at the exact moment that that ball is leaving the foot? Are you sure? It, it, it really did feel harsh on Argentina, that goal, and the other ones as well. I mean, still credit to Saudi Arabia for, I guess, trusting that high line. But I agree with you, Graham. I think in the end, if it's if it's a half second, like like delayed run, if that run is maybe one step deeper, it's a very different story here. Yeah, I thought that I thought the pressing game was actually quite good. So it certainly wasn't a high press from Saudi Arabia, um, although I thought Brickan did a, a good job of being almost like a one-man high press. I call that the Edison Cavani role. I think he's maybe one of the best, or certainly when he was fully fit and able to move around, was one of the best at doing that. But it was generally a mid-block. But I thought the the way that they were pressing Argentina was quite intelligent, particularly in the second half where they had the combination of the high line and then the mid-block press. And basically that prevented Argentina from getting into in between the lines yeah. of the, um, the defence in the midfield. And that was maybe the key of the match in the second half because, as I say, first half was pretty decent from Argentina. Second half, it felt like when Saudi Arabia were able to get that block of six at the back, they were they did do a better job of closing off the spaces. Yes, there was the space in the wide areas for people like Di Maria to get crosses in, but they found it quite easy to repel those crosses. So maybe not so great in terms of how Argentina responded to going 2-1 down. Yep. I'll add one more beat on Saudi Arabia defensively. Graham, I think you did a good job of, of illustrating what that looked like. It was consistently a pretty high line for them in this game, although they did get a bit more compact as as the match wore on and they're trying to protect that 2-1 lead. I, I honestly could not believe how risky of a choice that is from Hervé Renard. We've seen that before at World Cups. Morocco, last time around with Renard managing them, was aggressive in a really difficult group. Morocco don't make it out of the group stage. We even saw this, Taylor and, and Graham, we watched this pretty closely, mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia versus the USMNT back in September. Saudi Arabia in that match played a line that was so high that Weston McKennie was regularly exploiting yep. that space and making runs in behind. They did the exact same thing today, and it worked in both of those games. I... I am skeptical that it is going to continue to work. The report, the, the the cat is very much out of the bag on Saudi Arabia at this point. But their defensive line 
was so high and they were so compact. FIFA put out these numbers. Um, they've been doing some pretty detailed stats out of this game. I'm comparing them to Wales in this particular conversation. Wales, I think, played a relatively compact defensive shape, at least for a lot of yesterday's game against the U.S. The Welsh mid-block, the back line, was 37 meters from their own goal line. Today, Saudi Arabia was 43 meters. That's six meters higher up the field. That's relatively significant. The high press was higher up the field and the low block for Saudi Arabia was higher up the field. They were leaving lots of space in behind. If the timing is just yeah. a millisecond different for Argentina, Argentina probably win this game 4-1. Again, credit to Saudi Arabia. It did work. And I'm very curious to see if this high line is going to continue to do so. But between that, the space they leave in behind and how compressed they are, maybe 18 yards from back to front in their own defensive shape, it's risky. It is yeah. really risky. Agreed. And I think you're right to bring up that U.S. game for a second, and you're right to then conclude with the riskiness, because I, I, going back to that U.S. game, I remember it being McKinney offside a couple times, or U.S. players offside a couple times, and then a lot of overhit balls. And I really think, to some extent, it's not expecting there to be that much space in behind. And, and so I feel like for the U.S., it was a failure to calm down, slow those runs down. And I think for Argentina, to some extent, it was the same. Yeah. It was that feeling of, it's on, it's on, play mm -hmm. that ball, play that ball. And I think a team that plays Saudi Arabia that takes that extra half second or even starts that run from five yards deeper is going to have a lot of joy. That's one part. The other part for me is just that in some ways, I wonder if Argentina like hurt themselves by scoring early, as silly as that sounds, because you get the goal uh, via the penalty, then you have these three disallowed goals, and I would understand why Argentina would feel like it's going to come. We're going to get a few more. We're playing our game. We're not going to panic. But Joe, we talked about this when I was watching it, that at times the Argentina shape is almost like a 5-0-5, and I think... Within that, you can see how there could be a little bit of complacency of, ah, we can drift around a little bit. We don't have to be quite as disciplined. We're going to get more opportunities. You come out and get blitzed in the second half, and now you're 2-1 down, and it's just a very different game from that point on. I, I do wonder what the emotional damage of this result is, True. because there were Argentinian journalists apparently in the mix zone crying after this uh, result, which I'm laughing, but just tells you how how kind of traumatic for people who... Soccer is so ingrained in that culture. Yeah. You know, It's a traumatic experience to have arguably one of the most embarrassing results in World yes. Cup history happened mm. to your country. Charles Bohm was weeping in the mix zone for the US draw. <laughs> I, I, I heard that, I had that on good authority. Well, so yes. was Joe, you know, not in the mix zone, of course. Also Joe also was also true. crying, yeah. Yeah, live but in the BR app is what I, I was I crying. do think the impact of that could be quite immense, whether there is going to be, whether it's, whether it's warranted or not, there's going to be a lot of criticism of, of this team. They're going to be in the front pages of, of the newspapers yeah. in Argentina, not for, not for good reasons. And that is going to add extra pressure and have an emotional toll on these players. So I, I do kind of wonder how they react to that. You know who wasn't there for the first time in many decades? For the first time at a World Cup game for Argentina? El Diego. El Diego. Oh, of course. First time without I him. I thought about that. Hmm? Coincidence? Maybe, maybe he could have given them a bump of energy, shall we say? Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, uh, I can hear the fire truck I Ryan down the uncomfortable right with that one. <laughs> Taylor, I feel like the conversation so far, we've been kind of uh, gentle on Argentina for this. We, we can't forget this. Ryan wants us to lay the boom on no, Argentina. No, I'm just saying, yeah. this Saudi Arabia team, they're ranked 51st yeah. in the world. They're probably the second worst team in this tournament uh, by, by ranking at the very yeah. least. And an Argentina team that most people expected to go very deep in this tournament. Are we? We're kind of. I feel like we're almost letting him yeah. off the hook, saying that there were a few mistimed runs from smashing this team. I mean, I, th I think things can be two things. Things can be multiple things. And in this case, I think that is true. I think Argentina 
the, a few runs go a little bit differently, this is a very different narrative. That said, you're absolutely right. Uh, c- contrasting this Saudi performance with Australia, let's say, in the latter stages of the Australia game against France, which we're obviously going to talk about, you could just see the, like, I don't want to get beat 1v1, please don't embarrass yeah. me. You could just see backing off a little bit more some of that intimidation there. I don't feel like this Saudi team was intimidated at all by this Ar- Argentina team, and they certainly weren't overawed by the occasion. They have players taking people on, fighting for every ball. I think there was a lot of belief within the this team. I think that's a credit to Hervé Renard, but also the players themselves. And so in that way, I think Saudi Saudi Arabia deserve a ton of credit for this result, obviously. Mm. I think what we have seen, at least, and, and Graham and Joe have talked about this plenty today, so I don't want to steal their point, but it's basically that it feels like so much of the coverage has been, this is the disaster, Argentina are going to bomb out of this tournament, this is yeah. it, like, it's going to be terrible. And they're not. And, yeah, yeah, and I think that's where Graham's point was, this feels more like Spain, who go on to have a fairly yeah. successful tournament. I think we're trying to strike the balance between conclusions from one match where mm-hmm. anything can happen, and at, this is a group stage scenario where Argentina have two more matches to get back on track. And if you look at things like expected goals and the underlying statistics, just to mention the expected goals, Argentina finished on over two, Saudi Arabia 0.14. So that kind of gives you an idea of not not just how few opportunities they created, but the, the goals they did score came from pretty incredible finishes that most of the time would not end yeah. up in the back of the net. I'm not, I'm not an analytics guy, I just want to make sure. Two is more than 0.14, correct? It is, Okay, yes. cool, cool, cool. You're right with In that. traditional cool. Western mathematics. <laughs> yes, sweet. All right. That is the case, yeah. But this is why we love the game, isn't it? Ultimately, if every tournament went the way that all our brackets thought they would go, yeah. it would be boring, wouldn't it? Because there's always mm. some or kind profitable. of X Or profitable. Maybe so. There's always some kind of X factor in a tournament, one or two, a team that crashes out, some surprise results and we've been dealt this already on day three so that's pretty cool and i think as as we say spain lost to switzerland in the opening uh game of the tournament they won in 2010 and joe very much still a favorite right yeah i I think argentina are still towards the top of this competition they they are for me right now just as they were before in that upper echelon i don't know if it's one or two or three or five six teams i don't know what it is Mm. but nothing really changes for me in this loss some things might change for argentina and their personnel, but I don't think this is something to overreact to. It is still one of the greatest World Cup upsets of all time. Saudi Arabia do deserve credit for pulling it off. It is a wonder goal. That second goal is an absolutely Mm -hmm. phenomenal bit of play from Aldasari. It is unreal. I could not believe it. I watched that goal 10 times. I felt like you, Taylor. It was a phenomenal bit of play. (laughs) Argentina are kind of hard done by a bit between that and AI. Like it It took a wonder goal in AI for Argentina to lose this game. They're behind the eight ball mm. now in this group. They're last currently in their group. But as Graham said, two more games left to play. That, that's how civilization ends, I've heard. Wonder goals <laughs> and AI. AI. Yeah. The interesting thing about this game, I think, Taylor, is that, yes, Argentina are the loser here. But I think the biggest loser of this game is Mexico and Poland. This is chance, Because yeah. they were, the, the, the narrative here is that Mexico and Poland were battling it out for second spot in this group. Saudi Arabia have now made that a complicated journey. Yes, and now you have a backs against the wall Argentina if you're Mexico in your next game. Uh, you have to kind of factor that into your game plan a little bit. And then you, there's always that risk of overthinking. I, I think Tata Martino is less likely to overthink than say I would if I were in charge of Mexico. But there is the idea, like, do we go at them? Do we sit off and try to absorb? I, I think you could overthink yourself into a conundrum here, but I think either way, you now have Mexico who, if they don't get a result against Argentina, they're still on the one point. They still have a game to play and could very, very much still get through. 
But it, yeah, it forces them into a very difficult situation very, very quickly. Uh, still got the point, though. So there is that. Yeah. I would say still some concerns from getting that point, though, for sure. Mm. Argentina versus Mexico on Saturday, Joe. That feels like poop housery central to me. I don't it, know about you. It does. And it also feels like a game that could be a bit of a track meet. Maybe it won't turn out that way. And one of the teams is going to be more reserved. But I think that game could be a really fun one. Yeah. I mean, now that you say that, thank you for that. It, it does feel like Mexico will try to play, play their way to yeah. a draw I, I feel like they're okay with a draw because then maybe they back themselves to get a result against mm. Saudi Arabia now they're on four, five points and going through whereas if they get a draw against Argentina Argentina on the one point with the final game remaining so could be a, a physical slow affair could be a very exciting affair uh, and El Diego I'm, I'm assuming will still be around for it somehow Indeed, in some form or the other, yes. in the ethotator. Yes. Indeed. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to come into a section that's light on goals, but heavy on fun chat. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Day 3 analysis. Let's go to Al Ryan for Denmark nil, Tunisia nil. Graham, my, my initial thoughts on this game was it might have sounded like the best atmosphere so far yeah. at the stadium, certainly from what audio we were given on the broadcast. Yeah, I read that there's uh, quite a lot of Tunisians in Qatar, live in Qatar, so that was probably a factor. But yeah, absolutely, it, it felt like the... The best atmosphere. I actually think um, in the first minute we had one of the most yep. notable moments of the game, where <laughs> Laduni, Le, I'm not totally Laduni, Laduni, um, who was actually one of the best players on the pitch. His performance yeah. was a bit more than this moment, but in the first minute he absolutely clatters in to Christian Eriksen, wins the ball. It's a good tackle, clean tackle, but heavy tackle, and then proceeds to uh, celebrate like a WWE wrestler. And it was it was it was a, a silly moment, and Christian Eriksen actually was was laughing. He, he, he loved happening. it. But I do think that helped to set the tone for, for Tunisia, and it got it got the fans on side, gets yep. them up. There's you know thirty thousand Tunisian fans in that stadium, and from there you got a uh, surprisingly. I mean, maybe I maybe I just hadn't done my research into Tunisia. I didn't really know fully what to expect from them. I didn't do the preview. But it was a surprisingly intense performance from Tunisia where there were even periods of the game in the first half and they did fade, fade in the second half, but there were periods of the game in the first half where they had a lot of the ball and it felt like Denmark had to make some changes where they dropped Christian Eriksen deeper to have more of an influence and get a foothold foot on the game. But yeah, I thought Tunisia were, were very impressive even if they weren't quite able to get the three points. And this is a Tunisia team that uh, when their manager uh, takes over Jalal Kadri, uh, I think they have seven of his first nine. Uh, they keep a clean sheet. So they are a team that can uh, defend really well as a unit. I think individually, they are not the most talented team. They certainly have talent. But when you look at the clubs they play for, you're not getting that top tier uh, around the world. 
And so I think you're, you have to get a, a team-wide approach. And Laiduni is, is a good example of that for me. He wasn't one that I really even spotlighted in my preview as much. I thought Skiri would be more important to that midfield. I thought uh, Sassi might be important. But with Laiduni, I have him on my like early favorite players of the tournament list because of the intensity they, that he brought to this team, the tackle Graham mentioned. But then there's like a cheeky little nutmeg maybe five minutes later. He moves the ball really quickly, but at times he slows it down. There's a lot of gamesmanship to, to what he's doing, and I think he's a pretty electrifying player in what was an interesting Tunisia team. I won't say electrifying because Ryan Bailey will get mad at me for referring to a team that drew nil-nil as electrifying. <laughs> but I do think they were they were a pretty interesting team and one that yeah. will be difficult. I heard John Strong say, like, we have to have ask questions about Denmark after they uh, struggled against Tunisia. And I feel like this is one of those where I understand what he's, where he's coming from. But to me, it's also Tunisia made life very difficult for Denmark from the jump. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And, and Leiduna was like, he was everywhere. He was a spider yeah. monkey on that field. He yes, was a lot was. of fun. And he brought the theatrics as well, which I enjoyed. <laughs> Joe, I think if we were to give like a one sentence summary of this game, it would be that well, it's going to be a long sentence. But Denmark, who were like dark horses for this tournament, lots of people fancy him to go far. I know Graham thinks a lot of Denmark as well. But they underperformed, whereas Tunisia were very exciting and overperformed. And as a result, we got a draw. That was a long sentence. You're entirely right. That went on for... It was still one sentence. It was. I I was thinking about the punctuation, dashes, colons, commas, but I think you made it all out in one, to be honest. I think it's it's an accurate summary of this game as well, Ryan. It was worth every every word. Denmark were fine in this game. They had a lot of control. They also ceded some at times to Tunisia, or Tunisia just took it from them, frankly. But control... And I tried to get at this in in the Wales game and some other games earlier on in this tournament... We shouldn't confuse control with dominance. Denmark had control of the game. They were in control of the ball and of the tempo of the match. But it didn't feel to me like they were ever truly dominant in this match, creating chance after chance. They did create the better chances in this game. Christian Eriksen played some really good balls, both on set pieces and on on, uh, even just open play moments into the box. He had some great moments. Simon Kier, I love watching him play in the middle of the back line. He split lines, really helped Denmark progress the ball. Thomas Delaney has to come out with an injury, I believe, in first half stoppage time. That moves Eriksen a bit deeper, which changed the calculus slightly. It just never fully clicked in for Denmark to the point where I'm not saying that they're not favorites to get out of this group at this point, but they both have, both Denmark and Tunisia, level on points. They have the same two games remaining. These three points were important for Denmark. I think they had sort of counted on these three points, not to underestimate Tunisia, but maybe a bit disappointing for them in Tunisia in a lot of ways. Very happy. I think we've spent more time on them, so I don't need to go a ton deeper, but I was impressed by them, and I'm, I'm really now looking forward to seeing Tunisia take on Australia and France in this group. Yeah, I think Joachim Myla wasn't as influential as no. maybe Human would like. He's such an important part of how Denmark attack teams and progress the ball. And one of the more troubling thoughts I had from this Denmark performance, and look, it wasn't it wasn't a bad performance. I, I think they will play better at this World Cup at some point. But one of the more troubling thoughts is, I'm not totally sure who you can hang your hat on to deliver the goals on a consistent basis. And that brings me back to something I saw after the Euros, which basically said Denmark outperformed their XG by more than any other team at that tournament. And they do sort of rely on players like Mikkel Damsgaard. And these are all great players, but Mikkel Damsgaard and uh, Jochen Myla and Christian Eriksen to take low percentage opportunities. And, And I wonder... If that's an issue, if their execution is off, as it was in in this match. Yeah, Graham, that's a really good point. And I don't want to steal your thunder, so I want to tee you up for this as well. They bring on Cornelius. They bring yeah. on Andres Cornelius, a big boy, to try and get something done. It felt like <laughs> Wales yesterday, right? It did. The, the initial approach hadn't worked, and they went to plan B. 
Yeah, and I do think it's quite funny how many teams chuck on a big man uh, up front <laughs> in their first match at a major tournament. So France at the last World Cup, for example, they wanted to use Griezmann as, as a false nine. They put a lot of time and effort into making that system work. And then they really struggled in their first game, funnily enough, against uh, Australia in that World Cup as well. And so all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Sexy Goals is, is, is on. <laughs> and for the rest of the tournament, he plays that position. As you say, Joe, it was the same with Wales against the US who wanted to use Dan James as this sort of... Uh, dynamic, mobile, attacking centre forwards, and that didn't really work. And then Beefy Keefy came on, and that worked a little bit better. So I think that's the thing about using a, a physical front man in international soccer. You don't have all that much time to develop the, the intricate attacking sequences. And yeah. so being simplistic and actually just having a big man up front, it helps when you've got someone like Giroud, who's there's so much to his game. He's, he's brilliant at performing that role, but it is funny to me that teams work so hard on these on these uh, more modern dynamic approaches and then get to tournaments and just go i'll just throw in the big man and not trying to fire shots deliberately at cornelius he does have the header that he somehow sort of clears off his own line <laughs> or off the line he turns it onto the post that could have been a goal there like graham not to put you on the spot but for me if you're throwing on a a, a big man a goal scorer for denmark I would have expected it to be Yusuf Paulsen. And I don't know if there's an injury. I don't know if he's just not necessarily the yeah. player for this team, but that felt like maybe an opportunity missed if you're going uh, target man up top. Yeah, so I don't know whether maybe there was an injury mm-hmm. factor there. So that that might be the reason. But yeah, Yusuf Paulsen is, is, is a much more, in my eyes anyway, right? a much more rounded center forward Agreed. who you can play into. He can hold, off, hold up the ball. He will occasionally run the channels. So Cornelius who really is, I don't want to be too reductive about his game, but he is a big boy up front. That is that is his role. I do think part of the problem for Cornelius as well was... Six foot five. He, yeah. yes. Six foot five. Big oh, he's a big dude. That That's a big yeah. boy. Yeah. Part of the problem for him was it coincided with the, the decision to push Ericsson a little bit deeper. And so that created a disconnect between, even though Ericsson actually, I thought, played yeah. quite well. I think Christian Ericsson is becoming a little bit of a Paul Scholes. I like this version of Christian Ericsson more than previously when he was more of an attack-minded player. But having him deeper creates a disconnect. I noticed Cornelius then coming deeper to pick up the ball and drive it forward, which kind of defies the point of him being on the pitch in the first place. So it, it didn't quite work. Maybe there's yeah. a bit of refinement needed there from Denmark. Graham, we know you're a big fan of this Denmark team. Are you ultimately disappointed at what you've seen today? And are you are you disappointed? Are you, are you feeling more negative about the uh, um, the coming games? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's natural after, even after a single result, similar to Argentina, I, I, I think maybe things will pan out slightly more positively for Denmark at this tournament. Still positive that they can do something, uh, make a run, certainly get out of the group. But yeah, absolutely. I think it's natural after a disappointing result um, to feel a little bit down on their yeah. chances. And they, they weren't as, impre- as impressive as I thought they were going to be. For our many, 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 many Danish listeners out there, uh, I, I will say if you're looking for a reason for optimism, I very much enjoyed this Tunisia performance. I want to make that clear. I, I don't know if I saw in this game the attacking intent and ability necessarily that makes me think they will be able to cause Australia sustained problems. I think that's also going to be a very physical back and forth sort of game. Uh, perhaps I'm incorrect, but of the two, I would still think that Denmark would be the more likely to be able to score some go- goals on Australia. And then even if both of them end up losing to France and France just kind of cruise the group, I still think that puts Denmark on four points. And I'm not sure if Tunisia will be as comfortably on four points, put it that way. Okay, well, Tunisia are playing um, Australia on Saturday, so I feel like they're getting four points. I mean, it, based on today's performance, I feel like <laughs> anybody could get uh, some points against Australia. 
Yes, indeed. And the other game, of course, in Group D, second up, it's uh, Denmark taking on France on um, on Saturday as well. Uh, why don't we jump back to Group C and talk about that lovely nil-nil win for Argentina. Mexico nil, Poland <laughs> nil. Um, I almost didn't catch that. That was good. <laughs> Joe, can we call this the least good game yes. of the tournament so far? Yeah, it didn't have the catastrophic mistakes or a team just imploding on itself the way that you know Ecuador Qatar did on day one, or maybe the way that Iran played or even Australia later today there just wasn't much in this game neither team came out and really surprised just the way that Tunisia did earlier today and so it just looked like it looked like Poland on one half of this matchup it looked like Poland who are exactly they want to be they had their penalty moment Robert Lewandowski can't get it past Ochoa you kind of have to live and die by that if you're Poland in Mexico it looked like a slow version of Mexico that Graham you had talked about some in the previews that U.S. fans have seen up close look Older and slower almost every time that they played between Berhalter and Tata Martino over the last couple of years now. So, yeah, Ryan, this game was maybe not one that I think we'll remember many yeah. years from now. And, and this was exactly the performance from Mexico that that I expected. Um, as you say, Joe, when I was doing my research for, for the group previews, I, I saw loads of performances like this. And I, the way that they played this game... I compare it to how the US played in the first half against Wales. So the US have also had trouble, of course, breaking down low defensive blocks. That's been a feature under Berhalter. But they played with a very high tempo in the first half on Monday. Two and three touches, uh, players winning their duels, quick decisions, finding pockets of space. And there was very, very little of that from Mexico in in this match. And it's been the biggest frustration uh, with this Mexico team through this cycle. They don't translate possession into chances, never mind goals. And did anyone hear the whistles from all the Mexico fans on 40 minutes? I noted it down. Mm-mm. 40 minutes when the ball went all the way back to Memo Ochoa. Yeah, yep, I um, remember that. Under very little pressure from the cent- centre-backs, there was a, there, it was would have been easy for them to progress the ball forward. And I think that said a lot about the way that supporters feel about and this yet, team at the moment. they allayed every single pass from like the 12th minute yeah. on. So, I mean, that's another pass. You would assume there would be a laying. I guess if you pass back to Memo Ochoa, that's when the whistling begins yeah. for some reason. Yeah, they're only interested when he's saving penalties. Ah, of course, of course. Not yes. all passes were created equally, Tete. Mm, this is true. This is true. Although I have no good jokes. Uh, Pep Guardiola <laughs> would disagree with you because all... Passes are important, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> uh, George Orwell, Orwell will disagree with you, Taylor. I'm just quoting from his book. Now it? we're both doing this cadence, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Let's move to Joe Lowry. Um, Mexico, a bit ponderous. I suppose both teams were a bit ponderous and negative, weren't they, Joe? What? what why? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Poland, so Poland want to be. That's yeah. the easy bit to analyze. Yes. Poland want to be ponderous. They came out in this very amoeba-y, fluid defensive shape that looked like it was designed to match up against Mexico. I noted a few times in this game, Mexico a lot of the time attack with a front five, so it's the front three, and then maybe one of the number eights pushing forward, and a lot of times in this game it was Jesus Gallardo getting forward from left back all the way high and wide on that left side. So there's some some combination of players to make a five, and Poland in this game a lot of times had their, their center backs, had their outside defenders, and then might even drop an extra player into the back line to get to five or to six. It didn't look like a very consistent shape throughout the match from minute one to minute 90 and, and 100, whatever we got to in stoppage time in this particular game. So I think for Poland, they were trying to yeah. make Mexico suffer. And I, I think they succeeded in this game. When mm-hmm. they got the ball, they played long. They were a bit ponderous in possession or at least purposeless in possession. But that's not surprising. I did the Poland preview and they don't play very good soccer. Mexico do try to play good soccer, and that's where, I think, Graham, you said it well, the tempo was not where it needed to be. Chucky Lozano was trying to do things for Mexico, but I don't think Alexis Vega on the left wing was particularly dangerous in this game. Henry Martin did not look like a guy who was ready to create his shot, his own shots, 
at a World Cup level. He had a couple of nice moments, but then you have Hector Herrera, who I thought was a bit sloppy in this game. It, it was not a complete Mexico performance, either on a team-wide tactical level or really on an individual level outside mm. of likely Memo Ochoa. Yeah, I, and I think everything Joe said about Mexico, I would agree with the same for Graham. I, I did think Gallardo was was impressive in bursts. I thought he made some runs. I thought he was maybe the only one that I can recall. I mean, I guess Chucky Lozano doing plenty himself, putting in plenty of effort, but Gallardo, I think, making some sort of darting runs in behind, it felt like he was the only one that caused consistent uncertainty for Poland. That said, Joe, you, you uh, the way you were kind of explaining Poland's attacking gameplay, the analogy I would go with is Poland is a bit like a dog that catches the car it's chasing, and then it's like, well, I, I'm just going to let it go and chase it again. Like, it was, when they would win the ball back, there really wasn't much around them. There really wasn't a ton of attacking intent or plan yeah. for the ball. It was go long. Graham, I know you really love uh, uh, Szczesny, the goalkeeper for Poland, and just really <laughs> fun, appreciate his ability to play quick, short passes out of mm. the back and build possession that way. Uh, it's quite the opposite. Graham was mad. Uh, and, and so I think in that way, Poland really did what Joe said, played the game they wanted to play. They get that penalty. And if this finishes 1-0 with Lewandowski scoring that pen, I have to believe that's almost exactly how they drew this yeah. game. Yeah, Graham, Graham, why is that the game they want to play? They've got Robert Lewandowski in that team, yeah, one of the yeah, greatest yeah. number nines in the mm-hmm. game. He still doesn't have a World Cup goal. Didn't get one last time. You know, had a penalty saved in this one. Why are they not playing to the strength of that man? Uh, if if I had to make a, a counter argument, I guess you you could make the point that this in international soccer and tournament football, this kind of play works quite well. But it is frustrating when you see the qualities that this Poland team have, as as Joe and Taylor have have detailed well. They got the match that they wanted, but that's still hugely frustrating. So wasteful in my eyes that, as you say, Ryan, they have one of the best strikers, arguably of all time, of, of a generation, certainly, and they don't provide him with any service. Le- Lewandowski completed three passes in the first half. He barely touched the ball. Um, that's how little he was evolved, uh, involved. And they also have players like Zelensky, who could provide that service and, and, and find space. And, and he's been in excellent form for Napoli, arguably the best team in Europe this season. To have to, So to have someone like him and not create any sort of attacking unit or have any sort of attacking sequences between those 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 guys the fullbacks as well i mean as joe mentioned the way that the Poland were playing with the the kind of block of five and even bringing an extra player in, tucking tucking the fullbacks in very narrow, not restricting them. I mean, Matty Cash was getting forwards occasionally, but even he was restricted. So there's just no way to progress the ball at all. And then Chesney lumping the ball forward, literally, I don't think I saw it, 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 him play it shorter than like the halfway line, literally lumping it forward every single time while Poland are playing three midfielders in the centre of the pitch and just completely bypassing them. It was so frustrating to watch. Any um, silver linings, Joe, for either of these teams going forward? I feel like if one of these teams does finish in second place, it's gonna they're just going to be like making up the numbers a bit in the round of 16. It does feel that way. I, I was higher than Graham on Mexico coming into this competition. I still think they have a lot more than they showed today. So I do think Mexico could do something. And when you do have Robert Lewandowski, regardless of what the rest of the team around him looks like, you always do have a chance. So... It does feel, though, Ryan, a bit like they're going to be fodder in the round of 16. If there is one silver lining, you and I both know what the answer is. He was on the bench in this game. He didn't see the field. It's Karol Swiderski. That's how you save Poland. That's how you save the World Cup. at Charlotte FC, baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, one, <laughs> one silver lining for me, I think, for Mexico at least, would be that Memo Ochoa exists. Yes. And I wanted to pause for a moment to talk about him because that sure. is a player who we, like, when the U.S. plays against him, I do not like him because he always tends to pull out 
just a ridiculous save or just is an, an ever-present fixture for Mexico against the United States. But outside of that, really enjoy him because he has made timely saves uh, at club level, at international level in the past, specifically penalties, but also just big saves in general. But this one, for folks who haven't seen it or, or watched it five times in a row, it's his leg movement that I don't understand how he's able to do what he does because he fully sells, I am going to the right-hand side, I'm diving to my right. The way he gets, he shuffles over and not just like shuffles and then dives back. He is fully like bending as though my momentum will carry me and I don't understand how he has the core strength, but he does because he's Memo Ochoa, to then spring backwards and not just get backwards, but fully extend to make that save. It's incredible like salesmanship to sell that he's going one way, but then physical ability to make that save. And if you're Mexico, at least having a goalkeeper that, though the ball may have lied in your opinion, Memo Ochoa does not. <laughs> Very good stuff. Well, uh, the next games in Group C, we have, as I mentioned earlier, Argentina taking on Mexico on Saturday and Poland taking on Saudi Arabia. Joe, maybe they'll have the good sense to start Kaos Vodersky in that game against the Saudis. One can hope. That could be a... That could be an interesting game, couldn't it? No, actually, Poland are in it. It's not going to be an interesting game. But we should watch it and we'll talk about it all no. the same. I think Argentina-Mexico... <laughs> no, it's not. Taylor thought about it for a second. He's like, well, I could... I mean, uh, no. It's telling that if we're looking for one of those two teams to be exciting, it's, it's, it's Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Arabia right? right? Yeah. Like that's Which is crazy to say about against a team that has Robert Lewandowski in it. But indeed. here we are. Here we are, indeed. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the uh, box office headline game of the day. France versus Australia back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style 
and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's dig into the box office headline slot game of the day, the old 2pm. The classic 2pm <laughs> slot was taken up by France, who got a 4-1 win over Australia. A comeback win, no less. The uh, Aussies taking an early lead only for Rabiot yeah. Mbappe and a Giroud brace to put them uh, on the receiving mm. end, put, put, put Australia on the receiving end of a French defeat for the second successive World Cup. Graham, no Benzema, no problem. Ne pas de problème. Name, I should say. <laughs> it appears not. Uh, yeah, I like how when France conceded first to go 1-0 down, they basically sat up uh, upright like the, the meme of that guy playing the Xbox where they were basically like, okay, yeah, fine, we'll play. <laughs> um, and yes, essentially, they, 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 they blew away Australia uh, 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 by the end. They didn't start well, so even discounting the goal, I thought Australia had loads of the ball in the opening stages. They were finding the wide areas, and that was uh, that was able to how they were able to score. Then you have the the Lucas Hernandez injury, and obviously you don't want to see a player injured. But the Hernandez swap, so it's Lucas Hernandez who comes off. His brother Teo Hernandez, who knew? <laughs> well, probably a lot of people, but I didn't. <laughs> a lot of people, but Taylor Rockwell didn't didn't know that until today. What? Um, so Te- yeah. Teo comes on. And even though they're brothers and even though they play in the same position, they, they, play that, uh, they play that position very differently. And that instantly changed the focus for France. So um, as I say, there, there wasn't really much evidence to base this on. He was only on the pitch for 13 minutes. But when he was on the pitch, Australia are moving the ball into those wide areas. They're, they're getting crosses in. And with Teo in that position, Australia weren't able to get down that channel. Maybe that was due to Australia sitting back on the lead. But I also think Teo helped pin them back. Obviously, the flip side of that is that there was a lot of space in behind Teo, but by pinning Australia back, there's just too much ground for them to expose, and Upa Meccano was also coming across to help cover. So in a weird way, that change might have helped France. Obviously, it's not good that Lucas Hernandez, I don't know how serious nah. that injury is, yeah. maybe he's he's not available for the rest of the tournament. It'd be good to have that option, but I thought Teo was probably the best player on the pitch for yeah. France. A, yeah. point, a point made by Joe that I will now steal from my own uh, is is how few fullbacks France actually brought the, to um, this tournament. Point stealing police right outside. I, I Can you Hopefully <laughs> they pass us by. If not, I'm, I'm going to go for a run. Uh, but in this one, I was surprised to realize how few fullbacks there are for France. That like Pavard can play as a center back, can also play as a right back. Uh, him aside, you have the Hernandez brothers. Those two aside, I don't think you have another fullback in this team. So maybe... If there is another injury, I think that necessitates a formation change, but it means that you can't really go that defensive on the left side if it is indeed uh, Luca out for the rest of the tournament, which mm. it seems like it will be based on the way he reacted to that injury and it being sort of non-contact. So I think that could be an interesting wrinkle for France to have to overcome because in this game, I think they went more or less all out. They did not have a ton of like midfield presence necessarily. And I think they sort of rolled the dice on, we've got plenty of attackers. We've got enough defensive presence to to see this one through. And they did. Uh, but against stronger opposition who can focus on maybe a player being caught out of position, that might go a little bit differently. Yeah. So I think I was... Initially, I'll say this. I was, when Argentina, or Argentina, Australia took the lead, I was very glib in my, like, I thought this might happen, you know. Like, <laughs> I, they were difficult to beat. And then very quickly, I learned why you don't boast about predictions made 
when France then score multiple goals and look at, make it look very easy. Uh, but I, I think there are still reasons for optimism for France, certainly, but also maybe some slight concerns uh, about what happens when you face stronger opposition. Okay, yeah. Uh, two things, Taylor. Firstly, um, you know Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher? Also brothers. Never heard of them. Okay, we'll get to that later. Oh, then. those are the really overrated brothers. Right, 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 oh, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That mistake, might be the mistake. most hurtful thing you've ever said to Ryan Bailey. <laughs> oh, no, the most hurtful thing I've ever said about Oasis is that Kasabian is better. And I said it, spe- oh. I said it specifically to make him mad. <laughs> He's that, so angry right That even now. makes me a little bit mad. I know, it makes everyone mad. It's why it's fun to say. <laughs> he didn't mean it, Ryan. He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. Uh, the other point I was going to make to you, Taylor, um, many people have been... I'm not going to say willing France to implode at this tournament. They do have a history of it, but some mm-hmm. people are saying they are one of the teams who could flop, one yeah. of those random flops. Have we been given enough assurance from this performance that that won't be the case? Yeah, I think we have. I, I really do. I think there's still the defensive issues, uh, but the fluidity of that attack, even without Karim Benzema, I, I, found, I kind of forgot that that had happened until afterwards when John Strong was talking about, like, no Benzema, no problem. And it makes me wonder if maybe that's another one where Giroud can come in and do certain things that facilitate this attack. And, and, and Joe and I were talking about this a bit, that in the past, you've had, uh, if you're going to play Giroud, and if you have Griezmann in the team, Griezmann wants to be part of a front two. But then, if you have Kylian Mbappe, you kind of have to find a way to accommodate him. Griezmann doesn't work as well on the outside as a winger. And and it seems like with this team, Deschamps has found a way to get Griezmann in there, have him operate more centrally. You have Dembele and Mbappe on the wing. You have Giroud playing in a position that he wants to be in and really thrives in. And that alone is going to be enough for France to score some yeah. goals in this tournament. And so even if there's defensive issues, I think they're still going to be scoring plenty of goals. When France play well, they are exhilarating yep. to watch. And, and and the speed that they play at is incredible, yeah. not just in terms of you know things like acceleration and killing Mbappe, although they have that too, yeah. but in terms of the touches and how quickly they move the ball. And they don't always do that. That has been one of the criticisms of them under Deschamps. But when they do, and they did that in periods of this match, and yes, there's the Qatar principle where I, I'm not sure Australia are very good. In fact, I've been pretty consistent in my previews and build-up to this tournament. I think Australia might be the worst team in, in this tournament. But nonetheless, th- there were periods of this game where Australia, excuse me, France were very quick, very uh, nimble, few touches. The wings are scary. They had to have Teo and Mbappe on the left and then Dembele on the right. I can't imagine that's fun for uh, opposition fullbacks. I think that left side, I'm trying to think through other teams in this tournament. It's possible that I'm missing somebody that left side with Teo Hernandez and Kylian Mbappe is probably the scariest wing in this tournament coming into this into this competition. Pulisic I thought about Morocco. Robinson. Oh, of course. How could I forget? Yeah, Pulisic yes, and Jedi. Yes, yes. So this is second now. Another option for second coming into this tournament. I thought of as Morocco with Hakim Ziyech and Akraf Hakimi yeah. on the same side. Ziyech is not the same. I'm going to beat you for pace and then turn around and still be running and going way faster than you and looking back at you almost like Allen Iverson style, which I feel like is the energy that Kylian Mbappe gives off. Yep. So I don't think it's in the exact same category. I thought it worked perfectly for this game when France go down, which is also the moment where Lucas Hernandez gets hurt, Teo comes on. They now need to get back into the game. Teo is a guy you want alongside Kylian Mbappe when you need to push for a goal. What happens beyond this? I don't know, Ryan. I think you asked Taylor this. Will they flop at this point? Can France flop at this point? Dude. With three points in game one, I don't think they can because I think at this point they're set up to get out of the group. But I want to see more from France before I make any sweeping generalizations about this team other than it's actually crazy how much I love watching Kylian Mbappe play soccer just because he's fast. Like, that's all it is. He's so fast. I love it. I've never thought of the AI comparison before, but it's dead on, man. Because he, like, Allen Iverson could, like, just 
ghost past people with speed. He had the technical ability on top of that to control the ball. And then I just remember so many, like, well, he clearly can't shoot. How did he hit that layup? How did he manage to, like, get underneath the rim but still get around it and then still put it in? Like, he could... Uh, could put it in from so many tight angles, and that is also Kelly Mbappe. I like that one a lot. Yeah. I like that Fun one a lot. fact, Tay Tay. Mm. Anna Iverson used to live near me in oh my Charlotte. God. Why and did I do this? Why did I do this? No, and listener, if you ever want to meet Anna Iverson, go to the bar at the local Harris Tito where I used to live, because he'd be there all the time. I, I can't remember if it ended up being an apocryphal story, but there is something about him running up like a $10,000 bill at TGI Fridays. I might be wrong on that, and that might be a made up story. He's my story. spirit animal. I know he is. Oh my right? God. He and now, but at, at the same time, I hesitate to tell you that because I feel like you were his dash that night, actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Grim, this is how I feel every episode, how you're feeling right now. Uh-huh. This is how I feel all the time. Just sort of bask in it for a moment. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Embrace right. it. Graham, let's bring you back in with Olivier Giroud, <laughs> yeah. who is 36 years old, still doing gosh darn sexy things. He's up there with John Stones with the sexiness. We know that. Oh, that is a ridiculous that. statement you that. just made, right? We saw him we all also almost score an outrageous acrobatic yeah. goal in this one. How's he still doing this? Yeah, a note for Mr. Sexy Goals himself, because once again, it seems like he's going to be very important for France at another major tournament. It seems like every major tournament comes round and France go, OK, it's finally time to phase Sexy Goals out of the team and then somehow he gets himself back in there so obviously Benzema um, being ruled out of the tournament is the thing that thrusts him back into the, into the front line I'm convinced he's become more clinical as he's got older because if you think back to his Arsenal days in particular mm-hmm. the criticism of him was that he didn't score the chances that he was presented with obviously he still misses chances like every striker does but it does feel like he is becoming more of a clutch player not just for France but at club level as well the, the way he converts both goals today, um, I thought, was, was was very clinical. And he's now tied with Thierry Henry. This feels like a glitch in the, matri- yep, in the Matrix. Yes. He's tied with Thierry Henry, <laughs> the, the, the real Thierry Henry, for the most <laughs> goals for, for uh, the French national, French national team. 51 goals, which wow. is quite an incredible record. It is. He did miss that one sitter, though, in this game. The one where he uh, had the overhead kick. Got to put that on. <laughs> yeah, you expect more, on, frankly. It's got to be better. More. It's got to be better. Yeah. yeah. And as for Australia, um, I think I previewed this team. <laughs> I just need, here, here's what I will say about that. Ryan said, and as for Australia, and then visibly grimaced in a very hard way. <laughs> I'm doing that Chrissy Teigen grimacing yeah. face yes, at the are. moment is what I'm doing. Yes, you are. Um, I, I did the preview for this team, and I... I think I said their aim will be to get a point or maybe even a win in this tournament. I'm not convinced they're going to get it from what we saw today. I think they were hampered a bit by not having Aiden Ristich up there in that sort of supporting the striker role. We had uh, Riley McGree, the almost MLS player, Riley McGree, who we've mentioned before, um, Charlotte's record um, sale, who never played a game. Fun times. That's fun business, times. baby. That's business, Have baby. Have we got Wimbledon in yet? He's he's literally wearing a Wimbledon Ah, shirt. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Okay, it's coming via osmosis through the microphone, (laughs) Taylor. The Wimbledonness of this whole situation. So neighbors, we've got Charlotte, we've got Mm. Wimbledon now. I don't know what else we need. We have Warren Barton on comms today, former Wimbledon legend. There we go. Brought it full circle. Thank you very much, Taylor. Getting Mm. back to Australia, Mm. though, Graham. (laughs) What did you make of this? um, What did you make of this Australia team, Graham? I thought, yeah, they. Do you think they'll get a point? Um, no, unfortunately not. I stand by my opinion. They are probably, certainly in terms of the individual quality of the players. And look, there's a lot of 
players, a lot of players in this team that I have watched uh, very closely because a mm. lot of them play in Scotland. And if you look at that back line, you've got uh, Behatri who plays for Dundee United, Kai Riles plays for Hearts, Suter is a, is a, was born in Scotland, had Scot- Scottish youth international caps, plays for Stoke City, and Nathaniel Atkinson plays for Hearts as well. And none of those players, I would say, are particularly great. So Any uh, of the subs played in Scotland at all? Any? Oh, yes. One in particular, come dog millionaire, Jason Cummings himself, came on for a World Cup appearance, talking about a glitch <laughs> in the matri- Matrix with Olivier Giroud tying Thierry Henry for the most France goals. I'm, I'm not even sure how to Just describe this one. On, on the slight... Like almost impossible possibility that people have no idea what Come Dog Millionaire is about. Would would you explain, please? Um, I'm not sure there's much of an explanation. <laughs> his name is Jason Cummings, and he's just taken half of his name and and slapped it onto a play on words. But, yes. but what yeah. makes him such a ridiculous character? Uh, where do you even uh, maybe begin? Maybe he calls himself the Come Dog. Yeah, that, that is part that, of it's it. It's all there. Uh, okay. really. So that there's a, is what we're looking for. So there's, a, <laughs> there's a couple of things. I mean, every dressing room has 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 a Joker. <laughs> Jason Cummings is certainly a joker oh. to the extent that he has the, the joker smile tattooed on the inside of his hand. And when he celebrates uh, scoring a goal, he puts his hand to his mouth. I'm not going to do that because you won't be able to hear me on he the podcast. He won't be doing that in Qatar. No. And, and he has the he has the, the joker face So he's on. a person who who saw Heath Ledger's portrayal of the joker and thought, yeah, that. That's, that's, that's what I want to be. Yeah. be. Exactly. Perfect. That tells Perfect. you a lot about uh, the sort of person he is. But yeah, there's... Well, there's, there's actually, there's... conversely, tell you that Heath, uh, Heath Ledger actually drew a lot of inspiration from the cum dog. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Wait, I said Jared Leto, right? Not Heath, Heath Ledger? I think you said Heath Ledger. Oh, I meant Jared Leto. He I drew his inspiration Ledger. from Jared Leto, uh, which is more of a crime. You know, many people drew their inspiration from Heath Ledger. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but, yes, he's, he's, he's a man who loves a prank. So there's a Sky interview a couple years ago when I think he was playing for Shrewsbury Town and one of his teammates gave him the interview. And obviously the done thing in that situation is to walk behind your teammate uh, completely naked in front mm-hmm. of the Sky cameras. He also likes to get his shirt off and pretend he's a wrestler as yeah. well. He was doing that at Hibernian in Scotland. So that's my hope. And that's actually one of my VSPs for straight out this world. World Cup is we're going to get a viral moment of cum dog brilliance at this World Cup. Cum dog gonna cum dog. Mm. Speaking of wrestling, uh, we did I think compare Laiduni's celebration of his tackle to like a professional wrestler. If those two fought, who are you taking? Uh, Laiduni, I think. Okay. <laughs> okay. There, there, there's there's only so much that you can puff your chest out and yeah. pretend. I think Laiduni <laughs> might actually be a wrestler. Cum dog has scrappy do vibes. Let me at him. Let me at him. Yeah. I think that's uh, the best we're gonna get from him in that. <laughs> I think that's very similar to to Graham's impression of Joe Lowry. Just then. It does, that's very eerily similar. <laughs> all right, I think it's about time we almost wrap this podcast up. One last thing to do: some very specific predictions for tomorrow. Tomorrow's slate of games. The uh, game you're probably not going to wake up for is Morocco versus Croatia at five Eastern. We've then got Germany versus Japan at eight. Spain versus Costa Rica at eleven Eastern, and then Belgium Canada in that headline mm. afternoon. I'm actually slot. really looking forward to that. I think that could be one of the best games of of the group stage. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, why don't we start with that one, Joe? Do you have a very specific prediction for Belgium versus Canada? I am also excited for this game. I do have a VSP. It does not relate to on the field specifically. It's that I think we're going to hear reports about a crazy good team talk from John Herdman because Canada are. Mm major underdogs in this game. I know we've talked a lot about, I I still don't know where I stand on this. I'm kind of biding my time before I really pick a side on the whole Belgium concept of if they're past it, if they're not. I I feel like we kind of talk about that all the time in Belgium, generally still have pretty good tournaments. But setting that aside, Canada are clearly the underdogs in this particular matchup. I think John Herdman is one of the more animated and potentially inspiring coaches in this particular competition. 
I think he's going to do something to get his team really jazzed up about this game. I think there's going to be something that comes out from the players talking about, wow, you know, John got us really amped up for this match. Whatever it is, I think we're going to hear about that. And maybe, just maybe, Canada have some sort of upset in them in this game. Very nice indeed. Um, I'll give my VSP for Morocco versus Croatia. I believe Croatia are going to have a minimum of 65% possession for this game. Uh, this is a Croatia team who like to control play. We know that. we like They love being in possession. In qualification, in World Cup qualification, they uh, had a cumulative 66.1% possession. And I think they can maybe even exceed that figure uh, in this game against a, a Morocco side, who are a good side, of course, but I believe this Croatia side are superior. Midfield trio of Modric, uh, Brozovic and uh, Kovacic. Them boys going to want that ball, I think, Joe. Does yeah. that sound fair? Yeah, I can see Croatia making life pretty miserable for a lot of teams with that midfield group. Morocco can be dangerous going forward. I think we saw against the US, it wasn't a full-strength team back in June, but they can be vulnerable defensively. So yeah, that, that midfield might cook tomorrow. Mm, very good. And now on the Total Soccer Show, Taylor Rockwell is going to give his very specific prediction for Germany versus Japan. Uh, Mine, not surprisingly, is focused on Japan uh, because I think that they are poised to be a very strong team in this tournament. Uh, I think uh, Wataru Endo, uh, let me try that one again, Wataru Endo, there we go, you have to say it all like the same syllable, Uh, will have a pass completion percentage above 90%, and I think if he does not, Japan will lose this game. Uh, I think he is a really, really important player for the way Japan wants to play, either playing as a single pivot or a double pivot. Uh, I think he is a sort of metronome for them, especially when they're playing very well. He is especially important when it comes to ball retention. So if he's given the ball away or coughing it up cheaply, I think that means things are not going well for Japan. Uh, but if they do go well, uh, I think somewhere along the way, this is my other like little bonus one, is that someone will say that Junya Ito is a surprise starter, even though he is absolutely not. He is very good. He's their best chance creator. He led them in assists in World Cup qualifying. I think he will start over some more high profile names and that's maybe where that narrative will come from. Uh, maybe I will be totally wrong and he won't start and I look forward to you all mocking me if that's the case. But those are my two little things for okay. Japan. That first one you mentioned, Taylor, that first mm-hmm. player, I don't want to butcher his name and repeat it again, but... Wataru got... Endo. Thank Wataru. you. Wataru. See, I butchered it for you. <laughs> Endo. <laughs> Very kind of you. Is he Japanese Yoshua Kimmich? How do you mean? Like, like, doesn't, like, like doesn't like vaccines? Or Daddy's one research, yeah. <laughs> oh, Graham was ready for it too. <laughs> What was yours, Graham? That he's on research. <laughs> From when you described him, I, I thought you were describing a, a Kimmich-style player sitting in front of the defense, spraying it around a bit. Yeah, I think so. But I think he's also very good on the defensive side of the game. I think he's just a very solid player for them. He's the one that in my profile I talked about. When you look at all the different ways that Japan have played, all the different lineups and formations, he is ever-present. And he is similar to Tyler Adams for the United States in that if he can't play, I don't know if there's anyone who can replace him. He's not going to cover quite as much ground as Tyler Adams, but I think he will make up for it in his uh, possession ability. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Yoshua Kimmich versus Yoshua Kimmich. Let's see what happens. Kimmich on Kimmich action. Mm -hmm. I like to hear that. Graham, finally. A VSP mm. for that difficult lunchtime slot, Spain versus Costa Rica. Yeah, so there's there's a common theme of control in a lot of our VSPs. We didn't synchronize these because mine's is, mine is also related to possession and, and control. So my VSP for that game is that Pau Torres will have more than double the number of touches of any Costa Rica player because Spain are going to dominate the ball in this game, maybe more than... I think my VSP for Spain might actually have been for this game where they might have over... 
I'm, I, I can't quite recall the specific number, but it was something like over 70, 80, 80 yeah. yeah, yeah, 80% of possession in this game. I think this is going to be, in terms of the, the control and possession, maybe the most dominant performance of any team at, the, at this World Cup. Mm. And um, yeah, Pau Torres is most commonly the one who pushes the passes into the middle and gives the ball to Pedri or, or even Busquets. So yeah, I think he's going to have over 100 touches of the ball and that's going to be double the number of any Costa Rica player. And this is serving as a reminder for me, just I'm telling myself, Joe, future Joe, if you're listening to this this is the time when your vsp for costa rica comes into play because my vsp coming into this tournament for costa rica was that we would spend at least two minutes talking about a kaylor nava save so for the other three of you prepare for me to stall and sort of filibuster for two minutes tomorrow on kaylor navas Kay- seriously though <laughs> made really good what's the you defines <laughs> but I, I do think this could be a game where navas is incredibly important mm. costa rica are not gonna have the ball graham you're absolutely right I think Spain are good enough to carve yeah. through Costa Rica. The U.S. did it. If the U.S. can do it, Spain definitely can do it. Like, really, really, really can do yeah, it. Yeah, but U.S. sometimes pass the ball forwards. Ah, well, we'll see if Spain try to employ that tactic tomorrow. <laughs> I think Keylor Navas is going to be busy tomorrow, and there's a good chance that he helps Costa Rica get something out of this game if they're going to get something out of the game. Good stuff. Thank you very much, gentlemen. As always, Taylor Rocco, a pleasure having your services in the TSS Brooklyn Satellite Studio. The pleasure was all mine, though I will say I look forward to tomorrow when I actively try to stop Joe from getting that prediction from happening. (laughs) Good luck with that, Joe Lowry. Thank you, as always. I hope future Joe is happy with your choices today. Me too. I don't know how I'm going to thwart Taylor in this endeavor, but I'm going to try. (laughs) And, of course, we say thank you to our very own cum dog, Graham Ruffin. (laughs) Thank you, I think. I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, I retract that thank you. Not the sentiment, but the the content. Uh, Listener, thank you very much for joining us, as always. Always, we'll be back on the feed with day four tomorrow. But for now, bye.